Hello and welcome to The Future of Legal, the KPMG podcast series for global legal leaders. This series will look at some of the most pressing issues and opportunities facing global legal departments in the modern business world. Through interviews with leaders in KPMG Global Legal Services and other areas of business from KPMG and beyond. In today's episode, I'm joined by Nicola Brooks, Director, KPMG Law, KPMG in the UK, and Jason McQuillan, Partner, KPMG Law, KPMG Australia, to discuss best practices around contract management, as well as some of the key findings from a report in collaboration with KPMG Law and World Commerce and Contracting. To set the stage for today's discussion, perhaps we can start with why having good contracting processes in place matters. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll pick that up um, first. So, good process um, really matters because if you get it wrong, it has such a huge impact on on an organisation. If you think around the cost of contracting, the risk associated with contracting, the end-to-end efficiency, and the overall user experience. I think it's really important when you're thinking about process just to understand what that means. And it, it's really as simple as the, the actions or the steps taken um, to achieve a particular end. So from a contracting perspective, um, you know, you need a contract. It's authored, it's negotiated, it's executed, it's stored, it's managed. And, of course, that management could be over a, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40-year period. Um, and then at some point it might be renewed or um, or exited. Um, within our research, um, you know, 11% of organizations said that they consider their end-to-end contracting process to be uh, very effective, but that's only 11% of, of organizations. Um, and when we look at that end-to-end process, there are over 100 different processes involved in the end-to-end life cycle of a contract. But if you get it right, it really has a huge impact. So by having standardized, lean, and integrated processes, achieve globally streamlined ways of working. You can have clear controls, clear reporting lines, accountabilities, and hierarchies. And that leads to reduced risk, efficiency gains, cost savings, and better internal and external customer experience. Jason, have you got any views on it or anything else to add? I think that's right, Nicola. I would just add that um, contracting is such a common process within a company. I mean, every company has contracts, and some of our clients actually enter into hundreds of thousands a year. So the savings in terms of um, the cost and time and effort alone uh, is worth it for fixing your contracting process. But as you say, Nicola, better process leads to a better outcome. And so the potential um, loss through value leakage by not getting this right is enormous to companies. So it really should be top of the agenda for CEOs look at in terms of fixing their processes. Thanks, Jason. To follow up, I wonder if you can both talk us through why contract management can be so painful for some organisations. I think there's three main reasons for that. Uh, The first is that as a process, it's completely fragmented and nobody owns it. From our estimation, there are at least seven different functional owners that deal with different parts of the contracting process. And of course, each one of those has their own incentives and they're acting accordingly. So For example, the legal team are usually charged with making sure that risk is minimised in the contract, so they're just looking at the terms as they relate to risk. Whereas sales, for example, are just trying to get the contract through as quickly as they can to get revenue in the bank, which is their job, so that's their incentive. And so you have these competing views of what the contract should be, and no one has the overarching view, and then no one has the process of getting that contract done. I think related to that is the fact that um, this fragmentation of process leads to fragmentations of systems. And although contract lifecycle management tools are becoming more prevalent, um, at the moment, uh, most companies still 
are moving documents and information between a number of systems, maybe from a CRM back out to a Word document, which is then emailed around, with certain data then going to a finance system, and there's no place to go to understand everything about that contract and the relationship that it embodies. And so no one really knows where they're at and how they should best react to get the most value out of that relationship and that contract. And I think the third reason is that, and perhaps this is more of a legal point of view, is that we've become too adversarial in our contracting uh, terms. Most contracts you read uh, use archaic language, they're too long, and they don't start with marked positions. They start with a, an extreme position um, in favour of a company, and they expect to then horse trade that back to something which is reasonable. And so this obviously wastes a lot of time as parties what clauses they are very happy to give up on in the first place, exchange drafts in the meantime, but it also means that the relationship can often deteriorate during the contracting process. And so what could be or what should be uh, the start of a fruitful partnership just starts up on the wrong foot because the companies go into something feeling like adversaries when it really doesn't need to be the case. So I think that final part really is incumbent on lawyers with the mission of their CEO and their stakeholders um, to take much more reasonable opening positions in their contracts and to negotiate them in a way to get the contract done and to get it done in a way which facilitates business being done and doesn't put the handbrake on it. Nicola, anything to add to that? No, I mean, I I completely agree with that, Jason. Um, I suppose I'd summarise it as most organisations, you know, why why is contract management so painful? Often it's so painful because they haven't addressed the operating model around contracting. And by the operating model, we mean processes, and we've, we've already touched on processes, the service delivery model. So, you know, how are you sourcing it? You know, what should be in-source, what should be outsourced, what should be self-service when it comes to contracting? Jason talked about people and the seven different, you know, functional owners. We find that all the time and unclear roles and responsibilities across the whole contracting life cycle. So really thinking about um, you know, the, the racy, who's responsible, who's accountable. Um, technology, absolutely, disparate systems, um, thinking about that end-to-end technology piece, right from a sourcing event through to a contract closeout, where do you have, uh, whether it's sourcing technology, uh, CRM, CLM, and your ERP to make sure all of that's joined up. And then really importantly, what's the governance, what are the controls you have all around that, and the performance insights and data. What reporting do you need to be able to manage the contracts effectively, manage risk effectively across the organization? And then Jason's final point, which is around the actual contracts themselves, absolutely having the right templates in place, um, starting with a market position, and and equally having playbooks. um, A number of our clients are moving to automated playbooks. They're far more visual, um, and and once you you have that technology landscape, they're built into that landscape. But having guidance that is easy to understand, quick to digest, so that you can get to contract as quickly as possible. Thanks, Nicola. Again, from you both, what are the bigger picture impacts of a poorly managed contract management process? When we're thinking about the impacts of a poorly managed contract management process, I think it's it's just important to think about contracting in, in the broadest sense. And, and we talk about this in the report, you know, contracts directly impact the health and wealth of every organisation, from revenues, risks, reputation, rights and responsibilities. The biggest impacts that, that we often see for, for our clients are around costs, or often you'll hear 
you know, us talk about value leakage, risk, efficiency, and user experience. And user experience often isn't talked about, but it, it's really important both from an internal perspective, but also working with your, your end customers, your end clients, your end contacts as well. Um, just to touch on the, the value leakage, because often it's, you know, the numbers are the biggest drivers for our clients when they're looking at changing contracting. And you'll hear this 9% um, figure that, that, that is um, talked about with, with value erosion. I think mean, it's really important just to understand what that means. You know, contract value leakage is, is the difference between the value expected from the contract and the value realized during its implementation. So the sell side, that means loss of revenue. Uh, for buy side, that means loss of, loss of savings or value. Um, and there are three areas typically where we find leakage occurring, poor contract quality, the cost of contracting, and inadequate contract management. Um, and at KPMG, we carry out contract audits for our clients. On average, we're finding anywhere between 3 to 5%, often more, and that's money that's simply being left on the table through missed rebates, missed discounts, duplicate invoices, and all of this is absolutely preventable, but, but you need to have those right processes in place, supported by the, the appropriate technology that's integrated across the entire contracting lifecycle. Jason, I know we've talked about this a lot, and, and, and we have lots of debates around this, but have you got any other views to add? I think the value leakage point is the main one, Nicola, but as we've discussed in the past, there's also the reputational impacts of it and the relationship impacts of um, poorly managed contracting process in terms of, for example, the relationships that companies have with their customers, with their suppliers, with their partners, with their employees. All of these can be tarnished by a poor contracting process. Uh, and in some cases, it can lead to litigation if it's not done, done properly. So there are the other aspects beyond just the pure financial ones that um, companies need to consider. And also, um, the opportunities and, and risks that can be missed by not having a, a good process. So when you don't know where you stand with the relationship, it's very hard to quickly respond to new opportunities to improve that relationship. And so uh, there's lots of hidden costs uh, associated with the poor contracting process as well. And Jason, how have you seen the COVID-19 pandemic affect the world of contract management? Great question. I mean, I don't think we know the full extent of it yet, if I'm being honest. But uh, two observations that I've had is that, firstly, shown that many of the contractual terms that we have have been utterly useless and that um, it was a relationship that parties had with each other that allowed uh, contracts and trading to continue rather than what was in the document. There was obviously a rush to look at the frustration clauses and the force majeure clauses to see what the remedies were. But I think in most cases, the lawyers weren't of much help and the contracts weren't of much help in that situation. And so um, parties just got on with doing what needed to be done to fulfill their obligations in that situation. So in some extent, to some extent, the pandemic has shown that the issue that we have with incomplete contracts, which... Um, uh, the WCC and Oliver Harvey spoke about in the past really is a it's a true issue and having lawyers try to draft more and more complicated clauses around force majeure and frustration is not the correct response and we need to be thinking about uh, contractual terms that encourage uh, longer term thinking uh, that encourage joint dispute resolution and problem solving rather than um, an adversarial uh, blame based contract. So I think the the shape of contracts um, and the way they are managed uh, has been affected uh, by the pandemic situation and will be even more so in the future. The second, perhaps more observable impact in 
Nikola's world and my world is just the speed at which companies are adopting digitization through necessity more than anything else, I would say. We've also seen interest in contract lifecycle management tools skyrocket. Uh, it's a trend that was we were already seeing, but it was just massively sped up by uh, by the pandemic. Some of our clients have said that they're now two or three years ahead of their roadmap because the pandemic has allowed them to uh, have the conversations with their CTO that they had to have um, to receive the, the funds to put these systems in place. So I would say that the, the two main aspects that I've been seeing are the, um, the limitations of, of contracts in themselves and um, the need to have better process and relationships around them, then also the absolute dire need to digitize your process so that people can carry on with their business from anywhere, whether it's at home or whether it's around the world in different locations, um, without the delays caused by manual processes. Nicola, anything else that you've seen? No, I mean, that's all absolutely right. And um, I mean, look, we're in, we're in unprecedented waters. No one had necessarily planned <laughs> for a pandemic, and, and it affected supply chains through absolutely no fault of their own. Um, and on a personal level, you know, sort of forgetting what was on a piece of paper, you know, I was happy to see organisations supporting their supply chains and, and taking a pragmatic view, um, but it did really shine a light on contracts. Um, and it really um, simple things like, you know, I had clients calling me to say they'd had cases in their offices, the offices were closing immediately, and all of their contracts were in hard copy, so they couldn't get to the contracts in the filing cabinets in their offices. It revealed the data fragmentation, and it really forced many to, to, to change the way of thinking about contracts. So absolutely, as, as Jason said, you know, it, it's, it's accelerated digitalization. Um, the, the stats that, that we've got in our report is that um, it's now a priority. Digitalization is now a priority for, for 76% uh, of, of those uh, surveyed, so we, we know that that drive is there. Um, it, it's also um, driven a, a need for standardisation, um, and we've seen a number of projects popping up globally. So, Nicola, how are organisations transforming their contract management processes to adapt to the new reality? As we talked about in the last question, organisations are are really shining the light on contracting and looking across the whole life cycle of contracting, and they're looking at their end-to-end processes. They're also looking at the full operating model. So really, how do the processes link into the controls that you need? How does that impact risk? What is the governance that you need around it? What are the reporting and insights that I need to be effective in my role? And then how does technology come in as that enabler? And it's really important to start with the process and and build out those best-in-class processes before going to the technology. The technology really should be the enabler. But then it's all around automating, automating those end-to-end processes, making it quicker, easier, more efficient, and giving that data transparency so that you've got data at the click of a button. Um, I think of contracts just as pieces of data. But that's all it is. It's, it's words, it's numbers. Um, and what the technology enables you to do is, is really pull that data out and make that data work for you so that you can make data-driven decisions, so that you can decrease any value leakage that you might have so you can speed up that process so that you can have a much better end-to-end user experience. Jason, what are your views? Yeah, I'm not sure about anything to add to that one, Nicola. I think that's that's spot on. Um, fixing the process first. Um, I think you said earlier there's more than 100 processes or sub-processes within contracting that we've identified. And so there's lots of places for it to go wrong if you don't get it right. 
And so uh, looking at the process deeply um, is what companies are doing and as they should be. And as part of that, looking at the, the handoffs and dependencies between the different parts of the business and where they should lie. So that, um, that's the correct uh, approach to be taking. And as you say, uh, rightly, Nicola, digitization is the name of the game at the moment. You don't really need to fix everything in one go, but you need to identify those processes that are most susceptible to automation and can deliver the most value and can remove the most pain from people in your, in your organization. So those, those that one two combo, fix the process, then digitize, uh, is really the way to go. You've both discussed a few technologies already, but are there any other technologies useful in evolving contract management? Jason, can I come to you first? Well, the technology landscape is radically changing. Uh, contract lifecycle management is sort of the umbrella term which is used um, for a range of functionality. So the end-to-end contract lifecycle management tool, the larger ones, can deal with the process from you know, evaluation scope and requirements through to creating a new draft or reviewing a draft, negotiation, approvals, uh, signature, and then all the way through to post-signature management in terms of tracking obligations, um, analytics, and renewals. So that's the sort of full contract lifecycle management suite. But uh, even within that, there are lots of tools that just do one or some other discrete processes within that. So there are lots of tools that just do, uh, for example, document creation. So, um, and that's sometimes not called contract lifecycle management, they're just called document automation or document authoring tools. So there's lots of names for the different tools and functionality that, that can really help in this in this area. Um, and I think in terms of clients, when they're looking uh, what they should be acquiring, they need to look across their full process and make sure that they're going to get value for everything. Uh, we've seen a few clients who tend to rush into buying something which is perhaps a bit more than they need. And so fixing your processes, as Nicholas said earlier, and understanding where the most value is for you is really important in your buying decision, working out what kind of tool you need across the contract uh, life cycle. Interestingly, though, when we uh, surveyed respondents around which parts of the contract process they want to digitize the most, it came down to obtaining approvals as number one at 75%, followed by drafting at 65%, uh, and followed by backing at 55%. So you don't really need a contract lifecycle management tool to do some of those things. Obtaining approvals is really just proper workflow, and that might be something that you can do using existing enterprise technology configured in a more appropriate way. And so I think um, it's not just CLM. There are other tools that clients could be looking at to achieve a lot of the benefits that, that they're looking uh, for across the across the, the full process. The, the other factor to think about is the interplay between contract lifecycle management tools and other enterprise tools, uh, in particular, you know, CRM, um, and source the contract, uh, procure to pay, and ERP systems. There's enormous overlap, and it's really critical if you want to solve the contracting process in your company and, and solve it in a sustainable way to make sure that uh, you don't act as an island with contracts and you interplay correctly with those other technologies in the right way so the contracts do flow through the system uh, smoothly and that uh, the company as a whole gets all the data that it needs at the right time. Nicola, do you have any views on this? I completely agree with you, Jason. I guess the one thing that I know you and I both agree on is, is really think about what you need. You know, from, from, from a client's perspective, what are your requirements? What is it that you're trying to achieve? Because you said, Jason, 
you know, you, you could spend a couple of hundred thousand pounds or a couple of million pounds or dollars, you know, depending on what it is that, that you need it to do. And so really taking that step back and thinking about, you know, your pain points and what type of contract, you know, is it is it just sell side or buy side or is it all contracts, including corporate contracts, for example? What do you already have in place? Because if, if you just want some simple doc gen, um, you know, creating and drafting a, a contract, Actually, there are a lot of enterprise platforms that you probably already have within your organization that can generate that. But if you want full contract lifecycle management, if you're really looking for the obligation management as, as well, then you know you might need a, a best-in-breed CLM tool. So really thinking about that, that end-to-end piece, including your sourcing events, including your sales events, uh, including your ELPs, um, and all, you know, really mapping that end-to-end piece, I think, is, is absolutely key to then making that decision around which technology is going to be most useful for you in the particular organisation to achieve whatever it is that, that you're looking to achieve. And as far as you can see, are, are there any limitations in using technology? Well, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think it's a cliche for a reason, and that is that you don't, do not want to automate a broken process. So the technology is only going to be as good as the process which it's automating. So uh, we really can't stress this enough that you need to really understand uh, the end-to-end process for your contracts. You need to optimize that process. You need to understand who owns each part of that process. Preferably someone has an overview of all of it. And only once you've done all of that should you really look to be automating those processes. The technology in the space is rapidly evolving. Uh, I think there was a stat that something like 65% of legal tech companies have been created since 2015. So this is a very new area. And so every six months, you need to check back and see what technology uh, is available and is best uh, for what you are trying to achieve. So the, the limitations of the technology are evaporating. It's becoming better, faster, cheaper, more joined up, more configurable and all those things. I would say that one area which has the most development ahead of it is the area around artificial intelligence and machine learning. There is a degree to which the market is slightly overexcited about um, what can currently be achieved by those technologies, but there is enormous potential for systems to be able to read contracts, categorize contracts, spot anomalies, bring that to the attention of the lawyers or the contract manager or, or the relationship uh, manager at the right time to then be able to read contracts for further insights. But I don't think that that capability is fully developed yet, but definitely something to look forward to in the future. Nico, do you have anything else on that point? Actually, I have two more points. But um, actually, just while you were speaking, Jason, I thought of them. Um, one is, goes back to our previous point that we were just talking about, really think about your requirements for the technology. We have a lot of uh, clients that will have procurement technology, and they, they try and use that technology to be contract lifecycle management, and nine times out of ten, it won't deliver what they need because it, it might have some basic templating in place. You might be able to you know, create a, a basic contract, but it, but it is basic, and most of them, um, even if you buy the advanced modules, it's still quite basic in terms of the functionality that it gives you. So I think, again, going back to that, what do you need the technology to do so you understand the limitations and whether it will deliver what you need or not. The other piece is, it doesn't matter what technology you buy, if you haven't got your processes right, which Jason touched on and I absolutely agree. But the other point is, 
you could go and spend millions on technology and the technology hasn't been used because they haven't treated it as a transformation program and they haven't taken their people with them on that journey. And, and I always reflect on, let's think about the very beginning of lockdown when suddenly we were all thrown into homeworking and we were all forced to work in this different way and it felt really uncomfortable um, for a period of time until we sort of all got used to it. That's what it feels like every time you're trying to put new technology in front of people because they're having to get used to new processes, new ways of working, different logins, a different user experience, different user interface. And so you've got to absolutely take people on that journey with you. You know, what is the problem today? Why are you changing? And what is the journey you're going on and what can people expect? And if you approach it as a transformation and you take people on that journey and you break it down into bite-sized chunks, your transformation will be successful. If you don't, you, you run the risk of, for example, as we've talked about, you know, spending a huge amount of money on technology and that technology not being adopted and, and therefore you know, deemed as failure. So really think about this is a change journey. Um, it's not something that can be done overnight. You need to take your people with you on that journey. And again, for both of you, what is the low-hanging fruit in terms of rapidly improving contract management for organisations? What should they consider doing now? So I think there's so much low-hanging fruit when it comes to, to rapidly getting some quick wins. But I, I think, first of all, think about the end-to-end -end transformation that you want to undergo and, and have a roadmap for that. And that might be 12 months, 18 months, three years. But I, the most important thing is mapping that out and then identifying, right, what are the quick wins we're going to get in first, which may even be, you know, doing that to build up your business case to be the full the broader transformation. Um, quick wins that, that we've seen with some of our clients, um, things like aligning your teams on the contracting vision. So across your organization, how can you align people so that they're all pointing in the same direction uh, to, to go and achieve success? Um, then focus. So where can you focus on some of those quick wins once you've got everybody aligned? Quick things you can do, look at particular contract type and optimize the process. So take the processes, for example, how do we negotiate a contract? Let's optimize that process so that you're improving user experience, you're improving efficiency around it. Templates, playbooks. Do you have templates in place? Are they easily accessible? Do they start with a market position? Are they easy to understand? Are they easily accessible? And then do you have playbooks around them to give, um, again, easily digestible guidance um, so that people are making the most, uh, the most of that and, and um, you've got fallback provisions in there, et cetera, so they're not negotiating too far from the standard. Once you've got some of those in place, you can then start moving towards you know, what technology might we want to put in place? What are some of the governance and controls around it? But, but certainly those are some of the areas that, that we've, you know, you can get up and running in six weeks, show some quick wins, and then move, move on your transformation journey. Jason, I'm sure I've probably missed, uh, missed loads. What else can you think of as, as quick wins for clients? Because I really love that, um, that term, contracting vision. I think that is absolutely critical to it. I do lots of work with um, in-house legal teams who are looking at their strategy. And very often, their strategy involves enabling the business. And what they mean by that, most of the time, is trying to get contracts signed quicker. But at the same time, uh, they're not given permission to accept more market risk positions quickly. And so I think having the whole company aligned around what is our risk appetite? What do we value more? Do we value a, a signed, sensible contract? Or do we value our gold star, platinum level defense on risk, what do we value more as a company and aligning as to what that means uh, in your contract terms 
and also in your contract process is absolutely critical to this. I agree with everything you said around templates. They need to be short. They need to be in plain language. They need to be market. They need to be uh, drafted in a modular way so that the base terms are consumed are the same across different um, different procurements or, or, or sales contracts, but you have the specific terms you need for that particular product or service. And one thing I would say around playbooks too is they also need to be clear, but I hesitate when I see a playbook that has too many fallback positions in it because what that sometimes does is it tempts people to walk through the fallbacks one at a time and unduly um, delays the contracting process. So I think with playbooks, I think it's really important to have them up to date, accurate, and with a number of steps in them, but they does need to be uh, some principles around them as to what we are trying to achieve. And that goes back to the contracting vision that you mentioned through in the first place, in principle, um, for how the contracts um, should be answered in the process around that. I think one area which perhaps isn't low-hanging fruit, but where we do want to get to, and Nicola and I have discussed this a lot, is bringing together different skill sets within a centralised office of contracting so that you have one part of the organisation that is responsible for maintaining the actual operations, the actual contracting processes to make sure that the company uh, is being true to its contracting vision. Now, it may be that there are some lawyers in that function, that maybe there are some procurement people, maybe there are some salespeople, or it may be that you just create it from scratch. But point is, is that the incentive of that office of contracting needs to be to make sure our contracting process is as, is as slick, as complete, and retains as much value as possible. That needs to be its, its um, reason for existence. And so perhaps that's an aspirational aim for uh, many clients, but it really is something that we think that if we can establish that, it will solve many of the problems that we're seeing in contracting processes today. Thanks, Jason. That sounds like a good place to wrap things up for this episode. On behalf of our listeners, I'd like to thank you both for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks so much. Pleasure. To let us know what you think of this episode and to learn more about creating an office of contracting, visit www.kpmg.com forward slash contract management report. And remember, you can find our latest publications, articles and other materials that address the issues discussed in this ongoing podcast series at kpmg.com forward slash future of legal. It's important to note that certain member firms in the KPMG International Network, including the US member firm KPMG LLP, do not provide legal services. Legal services may not be offered to SEC registrant audit clients or where otherwise prohibited by law. Thanks for listening.